Hello and welcome to Affable Chat. My name is Benjamin and this is my co-host Joey. Hello and how's it going? And today we're talking about soul. I remember one time my dad took me to this jazz club and that's the last place I wanted to be. But then I see this guy and he's playing his chords with force on it. And then with a minor, I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Then he has the inner voices and it's like he's, it's like he's singing. And I swear the next thing I know, it, it, it's like he floats off the stage. That guy was lost in the music. He was in it. And he took the rest of us with him. And I wanted to learn how to talk like that. That's when I knew This is an American computer animated existential fantasy comedy drama. Directed by Pete Doctor and Kemp Powers. And, and when I read the Wikipedia for this, it said Pete Doctor was the director. So, uh, Joey, what, what's, uh, what about Kemp Powers? Okay, so Kemp Powers was a, or is a uh, playwright um, who, a black playwright who they brought in as a consultant for this movie because they didn't know how to tell this story that they wanted to tell. Uh, originally, apparently, Joe Gardner was a very flat, hollow character, and they didn't have anything. They were sure, weren't sure if he was going to be an animator or if he was going to be uh, something else. So they brought in Kemp Powers as kind of a consultant. But once he started, once they started working with him, they realized that they needed to elevate him to co-director because he had such a great vision for this character and for this movie. And ultimately, a lot of the like interesting and weird decisions that were made for this movie, including the inclusion of jazz as a motif, came from Kemp Powers. So very cool. It's very cool. He's got he's got he contributed a lot to this movie, and his like life story is fascinating. Um, so. Yeah, he's he is a big reason for this this movie's success. If you like this movie, it's it's largely because of Kemp Powers. Pete Doctor, obviously, he did Inside Out and a bunch of other really famous, really really good uh, Pixar movies. But uh, he kind of brought the craft, whereas Kemp Powers brought that story. So that's fantastic. All right, so what? Who's our cast, Joey? The cast of this movie includes Django Unchained from his Earthly Bonds, Liz Lemon, Moana's Grandma Tala. Funny British interview guy, Maurice Moss, Marquise de Lafayette slash Thomas Jefferson, Claire Huxtable, Donnell Rawlings, and lover of quests, Quest Love. I watched this movie on Disney Plus. Joey, how did you watch it? I also watched it on Disney Plus. Excellent. Okay, now, Joey, uh, we're ready for your synopsis of Soul. You have arrived at your destination. Joe Gardner is a middle school band teacher who loves to play jazz. However, much to the disappointment of his mother, he has not landed a stable job because he would rather be playing jazz in whatever random gigs he can grab. Joe believes that one day his talents will be recognized and he will be able to make music his profession. The same day he is offered a permanent position at his middle school, he gets a call from a former student to play with the great Dorothea Williams. Joe jumps at the chance and lands the gig. He is so excited he doesn't even notice when he falls into a manhole and dies. Joe finds himself on an endless conveyor belt, dragging him toward the great beyond. Can you add some reverb for that? I will, Thank you. yeah. 
he meets other souls who have resigned themselves to their fate, but he resists, tearing through the thin wall separating him from the dark void below. Joe falls through Interstellar's Tesseract and lands in a lush field surrounded by new souls. Joe meets Jerry, who... I am the coming together of all quantized fields of the universe, appearing in a form your feeble human brain can comprehend. What? You can call me Jerry. Jerry, okay. Uh, Jerry explains that Joe is in the Great Before, which is where souls gain their personalities before they are sent to Earth. Because Joe is dead, he cannot make it to Earth on his own. New souls require Earth passes to leave the Great Before. Without one, Joe is destined to be sent to the Great Beyond by Jerry. But other dead souls are also sent to the great before to be mentors for new souls. So Joe pretends to be a mentor with the intention of stealing a new soul's earth pass and making it back to earth. Welcome to earth. Joe is paired up with soul number 22, an infamously difficult person. She has had many mentors, including people like Mother Teresa, Muhammad Ali, and Abraham Lincoln. But every one of 22's mentors has quit due to her insufferable apathy. However, Joe and 22 find that their goals align. 22 doesn't want to go to Earth, and Joe desperately wants to return. Meanwhile, Terry, the spirit world's accountant, has noticed that something has gone wrong and goes looking for Joe Gardner. Together, Joe and 22 explore many different activities and professions, hoping to find 22's spark, which is the last ingredient they need to fill her Earth Pass. But they fail. Nothing they try breaks 22 from her apathy. Frustrated, 22 takes Joe to the land of lost souls, otherwise known as the Zone. There, they meet Moonwind and his merry band of mystics. Moonwind explains that the Zone is the bridge between Earth and the spirit world. This is where people go when they reach some sort of flow state. Their souls leave their bodies and they are transported to the Zone. The Zone is also where people's souls go when they become so obsessed with something that they lose touch with the world around them. Moonwind and his crew are still alive on Earth, but have transcended their bodies to spend their time rescuing lost souls from the zone. He agrees to help out our two main characters. Moonwind helps Joe find his body, which is still alive on Earth, but Joe is in a coma. Something goes wrong, and Joe and 22 fall to Earth. But oh no, Joe is not in his body as expected. He is in the hospital's therapy cat, and 22 is in Joe's body. <laughs> so wacky. Joe and 22 rush to find Moonwind to put things back to normal. Moonwind tells them they will have to wait until the evening to put things right. Meanwhile, Joe and 22 will have to do some chores to get ready for Joe's big gig that night. With 22 in control, Joe is more impulsive, but also more open, honest, and curious. Through his eyes, 22 gains an appreciation for life. When it comes time for them to switch, 22 runs away with Joe's body, no longer eager to leave Earth. But they can't get far. Terry the spiritual accountant finds them and takes them back anyway. Joe and 22 argue. Joe thinks that 22 hasn't found her purpose yet, but 22's earth pass has changed. 22 tosses it at Joe and disappears. Joe asks Jerry what 22's purpose was, but Jerry laughs at him, saying a soul's spark is not their purpose. Joe returns to Earth to totally nail his performance, but he is surprised to find that even though he is on his way to his dream, he doesn't feel any different. He goes home to play the piano. As he plays, he's reminded of all the beauty that 22 saw in the world and all of the beauty and wonder he saw in his own life. He gets into the flow and enters the zone. Back in the spirit realm, Joe meets up with Moonwind to find 22. She has become a lost soul herself. 
Joe finds her and convinces her that he was wrong, that 22 doesn't need a purpose, only a spark. 22 gains her Earth Pass, and Joe, despite cheating the system, is given a second chance at life. The end. Well done, Joey, once again. I think it properly summarizes this. It's uh, a pretty, yeah. Uh, unfortunately, there's not a lot I can cut out when you're summarizing this movie because it's you have to explain every aspect of it to understand how it ends. It, it's a pretty unconventional structure, I think, for uh, the plot. Definitely. But we'll get into that. Let's start with our pros and our cons. Joey, what did you like about Soul? Obviously, Pixar's wonderful animation, the textures, the light, the wonderful, unique-looking characters. Uh, it's a really wonderful and unique story, creative visuals and ideas. It has a, a, a really wonderful cast. Uh, the dialogue and characters are all so dynamic and interesting, and it has a poignant and very relevant message. What about you? I agree with all that. It's an insanely creative premise, uh, impressive animation, as we you know we come to expect from Pixar. Witty dialogue and fun cultural references, powerful message, and a well-executed jazz motif. So let's talk cons. Uh, what did you not like about Soul, Joey? It's hard to criticize this movie. Um, again, it has kind of an unusual structure, but there's not really much of a villain. You kind of have Jerry and Terry as antagonists, but um, it's not uh, it's not really clear that they're really bad guys. They're just kind of bu- bureaucrats. And, if, and you really only get a limited view of the spirit world. I'm thinking of like in Beetlejuice, you kind of get that glimpse inside of the spirit world, right? Where you can see how the different uh, the DMV works and how they process new souls and everything. And you kind of get a glimpse that there's other stuff outside of this. You only get a small look at that one place, but there's you get the idea there's a whole world out there. Whereas this, it's like they just kind of invent new places when they need them. And then you don't really need, they don't really return to them or anything. And they just kind of, they're kind of generic in some of their ways. It's not, it's not exactly it's just like, oh, it's a lush field, and there's these lion creatures around. It, it's it, it doesn't have a lot of uh, life to it, I think. Yeah, I agree that this is a really tough movie to criticize because I think that they do what they want to do. Like they execute on what they're attempting to execute, which is you know done very well. I will say that one major con to this movie is that it does not conform to Judeo-Christian beliefs about life after death. So, mm. uh, so obviously that's the take you're going to take. That's what you're going to take. I'm <laughs> just kidding. Um, that is, that is what, what I'm trying to say is I really don't have a good criticism for this movie. I, I do think, uh, you're right about there being kind of a lack of a villain. I think the accountant is initially set up to be kind of viewed as this, uh, you know, villain who is, um, you know, important and on his way to thwarting their attempts. But in the end, he's totally, he's pretty meaningless. You know, the the count doesn't even matter. They can just trick him and it's okay. (laughs) So none of it really had all that much weight to it with him chasing them down. Um, There was no greater meaning beyond the count. So, uh, but again, I don't really have a, like this movie is excellent. So I I don't really have much negative to say about it. So those are our pros and our cons. Let's get into it with our overall section. Joey, take it away. Soul delivers on everything that Pixar promises. Uh, the animation is beautiful and captivating. The story is creative, fun, and meaningful. The characters are memorable and real. It, I mean, it really is a great movie. Um, and there's a lot 
to it as well. It has somewhat of an unusual structure, as we already said a couple of times. There's there's not like a big bad guy to fight. There isn't a place that they need to end up. You know, it's not like a it's not like a quest or something where they're journeying to a certain place necessarily. And I think its climax is really subtle and bravely non-explicit and extremely powerful because of those things. It's not that there isn't tension in this movie. There's tension throughout. And many times it's it's very sad and, and you know it makes you it really makes you feel. Uh, but the way it all, it's ultimately resolved is unlike anything I can remember seeing in a movie before. Yeah, I After, just want to I, I just yeah. want to emphasize what you said there because I think it's really well put. It's bravely non-explicit. I think the most uh, compelling. I, this whole movie is compelling, but one of the most compelling scenes is when Joe enters the zone after his big performance and he's seeing life in extra high fidelity and recognizing just the beauty of those little moments throughout his life. You're allowed to come to that conclusion based on what you're seeing. Not, exactly. And, and the context. They don't explicitly have to tell you anything, uh, which I think is is really powerful. Absolutely. And... That's exactly what I was about to get into. As he's playing that piano, his life is flashing before his eyes. He's transported to all these wonderful, meaningful moments in his life. Some of those happen in this movie, uh, and, and some of those that don't that happened before. And this, this, like the key, this is the key that unlocks the movie's resolution. And sure, you know, there's a confrontation with Twenty Two, and ultimately it's that. But ultimately, it is this quiet moment with a single character in a room with only flashes of visuals and music, no dialogue or anything that brings them to this conclusion. And everything coming up to that leads up to that moment and then everything afterward shows how he's changed because of that moment. It's amazing. And I think in both that moment with Piano and when he finally confronts 22, there's the symbol of the seed uh, that causes that, is like a catalyst for action here. And it, it allows our happy ending to be achieved. So what is what is the seed? What does the seed mean? What does it all mean? <laughs> tell us, Joey, tell us. <laughs> the seed is the seed is being planted in your mind. Okay, so to me, the seed is the, a symbol of death and rebirth. As the seed falls from the tree, it twirls gracefully to earth. It's one of those helicopter seeds. I used to get these in my neighborhood too. I used oh, to yeah. watch them fall. They're, it's awesome. But what may seem like its death is really an opportunity for new life. And its journey downward, although short, is special and beautiful. Such is life. After Joe's death, he finds a new lease on life, but he also inspires new life in 22. The mentor program in total sort of does the same thing. These are old souls after they die, passing on wisdom to the next generation. As they are dying, they are bringing in new life. I think the seed acts as a reminder that you're actually starting in the middle. You like to think that the universe began when you were born and will end when you die, but it actually has been going on before, without you before, before you existed forever and will continue without you forever. You are helping move it along. You are turning the gears of the world, but ultimately you are only one link in an endless chain of being. This idea is actually uh, called throneness. It's uh, in, in a... Uh, uh, coined or discovered or however you want to say it by the German philosopher Martin Heidegger. Heidegger? Heidegger? Nah, I can't even say it. Martin Hi Heidegger. Okay. 
the, the German word is Geforenheit. It's it, it basically means starting in the middle. It, it means you are thrown into life and you have to deal with the situation that you're given, basically. And throughout this movie, you see that. You see different situations where people came in with one idea and left with a different one. And Joe is no exception to that. He comes in thinking that music is is the purpose of his life, and that he needs to play music, otherwise he's not fulfilling his ultimate need, but ultimately comes away coming with a very different conclusion, uh, one that I think is relevant to everyone. So I, I think that that seed metaphor is so beautiful, and having it come up and be so prominent is is such an interesting choice because they don't explain to you why is it a seed? Why isn't it up? You know, why isn't it the pizza crust? You know, why is it not the spool of thread? Right. Why isn't it the lollipop? Uh, it's it, it's it's more than just that. It, it, you can choose anything, right? So it's an animated film. So they chose this seed as a symbol, and it uh, it it really was invocative to me. Yeah, that's beautiful. I think those other items add context <laughs> to it because it all comes from the same kind of view of like the just the beauty of life and, and the beauty of living life. Uh, yeah. But I, I think, yeah, the, the seed, there's a reason why the seed is used as the, you know, item that destroys the, uh, the what did they call them? The um, lost, lost soul. soul, like darkness that surrounded 22. Right, the, the sand or whatever that's covering up. Oh, that, that was so... It, I, I love the way that Pixar can distinguish between different things in its animation style. Um, and that those lost souls were so interesting to look at. Yeah, exactly. And they had like a similar like. There's there's such a flowing nature to this to the animation in this movie with uh, Jerry and Terry and how they the way they move and everything. It's all very fluid, and they're constantly like changing and shape and and moving around. And then the lost souls, and, and I guess you see this more of twenty two have, have a similar. Uh, kind of flowiness to them. They're stretchy and yeah, and kind of kind of flowy, like, like water. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Well, I, I don't like while we're talking about like the animation style. Like I, I love how Pixar always finds ways to push the limits of computer animation. Um, I mean, lest we forget that Pixar Animation Studios is responsible for the first entirely computer animated feature film which was Toy Story. You know, at a time, that was cutting edge uh, in animation. And uh, that was also Pixar's first feature-length film in general. And I've always seen Pixar as the gold standard for computer animation. But at this point, I'm not easily impressed because great animation is so commonplace. You don't have to be Pixar Animation Studios to have visually impressive computer animation but i still find that pixar finds a way to stand above the rest this movie looks so impressive both in the scenes that take place in the real world and the scenes that take place in the great before you have kind of this contrast of like not necessarily hyper realism but realistic animation versus this fantastic colorful uh fantasy world right um I, like I, I was especially impressed by the high definition close-up shots in the barber shop when Dez is reaching over to grab the straight razor. That might as well have been a, a shot that they took in a real life barber shop. You know, the de- the attention to detail was so uh, finely tuned. Uh, as well as like we were talking about the shots from Joe's life when he's entering the flow state uh, near the end of the movie. 
especially I especially loved like the the shot of the pie, you know, because by see, having them give you a different perspective on the pie, that was the same shot that you see in the hall of you earlier in the movie and it's from a different perspective because in the hall of you it's so depressing to see joe sitting by himself with bad posture eating (laughs) pie you know just sitting in a diner on his own that it's it just looks sad i mean it's done intentionally but then from this perspective you see the beauty of that pie you see the the uh you know how much joe enjoys that particular pie maybe there's more to it maybe that's his favorite diner and the favorite dessert that they serve at that diner and that's a beautiful moment for him to take a bite of that pie so (laughs) you know that that those shots really impressed me Uh, i i also thought it was impressive that Disney, or I just thought it was a creative choice to have two-dimensional creatures that exist in a three-dimensional space with the with the way they animated Terry and Jerry, uh, and then uh, yeah, so I just this movie, even twenty-five years after their first cutting-edge feature-length film, Pixar is still reaching uh, the heights of achievement in computer animation. Oh yeah, I mean you look at the, like the way that the light streams in in different scenes and just the uh the texture of joe's clothes like his his fedora has a certain texture to it and his his sweater has like lint on it and you can see the individual threads it's amazing and i i mean that sort of thing is something that people won't really necessarily notice that much and even and even maybe in 10 years or something maybe it won't look as good as it did now uh but we uh it's it's so immersive that uh, like only while i was going back through it and collecting quotes was i like actually able to pay attention to the animation because i was just so swept up in the story and how well that all that was executed the the animation just falls away especially the scenes of, of new york city and there's like you said in that flow state where he they're zooming out of the city and you see that overhead shot and then of like the earth and then of like the galaxy like those might as well be paintings or photographs because there's so there's so much detail and so much love put into that and it looks so good but it doesn't break from the realism that they're putting anywhere else to it's it is really interesting to have them go into this very like kind of simple animation of the souls where they're like just kind of blobs which are obviously much easier to animate than people right and then to put that in in direct contrast to new york city which is like just filled with detail right street signs and cars moving and people every single one of them is different it's just uh it's amazing to watch that contrast come together in the same movie and for it to not feel dissident at all I totally agree. It's just, it feels like luxury when you're watching Pixar. <laughs> you know? It really is though. <laughs> it very much is. Yeah. So to get back to the story, the soul takes a bunch of unusual stances, I think, as far as messages go. Uh, there's this message about enjoy the little things and maybe one that says settle with what you can get, uh, which I think are kind of lame, but there's also this message about purpose joe conflates purpose with the spark which is what the mentor is supposed to provide their mentee so they're ready to go so that they're ready to go to earth joe and 22 think that the spark is supposed to be the thing that you spend your life pursuing it is the thing that you are built to do but 
Jerry dismisses this, and I have a quote that I'm definitely not stalling to find. Hold on. Hey, um, we never found out what 22's purpose was. Excuse me? You know, her uh, spark, her purpose. Was it music, biology, walking? <laughs> we don't assign purposes. Where did you get that idea? Because I have piano. It's what I was born to do. That's my spark. A spark isn't a soul's purpose. Oh, you mentors and your passions, your purposes, your meanings of life. So basic. <laughs> no, no, it... It is music. My spark is music. I, I know it is. So, Joe is right, right? He, his spark is music, but he misunderstands what the purpose of a spark is. And the, the choice of the word spark, I think, is very intentional because it's not about purpose. You, you kind of get that conflated early on, um, but they never explicitly say, this is your purpose is your spark kind of thing. It is about finding the thing that makes life worth living. It's how you truly appreciate life. Again, you see this when Joe is playing the piano and thinking about his life. The spark of his life is the piano because it, it is when he's playing piano that he is truly living. I feel this way when I'm running too. Like I, I sometimes say to people, running is living and everything else is waiting to die. Like <laughs> I want to, if, when I am running, I feel like there's nothing more I could be doing, right? You know, if I'm sitting on my couch watching YouTube or something, I'm like, well, there's so many other things I could be doing that's more productive. So many more things I could be doing, spending time being you know, that would be more meaningful. But when I'm running, I never feel that way because I'm feeling like I am at the epitome of what I should be doing. And a lot of the way I live my life revolves around the idea or the fact or the, I don't know, the the purpose of running, basically. And it's not so much that like I want to make my life, my, my, make my living while running or trying to become a professional athlete or anything, but it it is while I am running that I feel like I am al most alive. And I think that Joe feels that same way about the piano. He's when he's playing the piano, he's transcending his life, but he's also in the world so much more. It's like this is what it's all about. Everything I've done up to this point has led me to the to this moment where I can do this and appreciate things in this way. It's a certain way of viewing the world in a way. It's like in order to truly see the world, you have to have some sort of medium. Um, and for Joe, that's playing the piano. Yeah, I think that's really cool. I think that this idea, they call it the zone, but I've also heard it referred to as the flow state, uh, is such an important thing. It is such a transcendent feeling where, uh, you know, and I think everybody is, yeah, well, maybe, I don't know if I want to make a generalization like that, but, you know, when people recognize what that is um, and, you know, time kind of falls away, it, it is uh, interesting to put it between life and not necessarily death, but like, the soul world uh, right because it, it is this kind of transcendent experience to be able to enter the flow state and finding that thing that allows you to do that um, i think is part of what makes life worth living yeah but it's the thing that's important to, to note about this is that that's not his purpose right he's not built to play the piano and i think in today's world we are often caught up in this idea that you have to have some sort of utility, that you are a thing that does something. 
you are what you do. And I don't even think that's like necessarily a capitalist thing. I think that's just like a way people think. And I think there's a lot of pressure to think that way. I think this applies to anyone that defines themselves by their job, their hobbies, or anything else. I think people who put mother in their Twitter bios also fall into this category, right? It's like you, you, you saying my purpose was to become a mother, I think is what this movie is kind of pushing against. It's not saying that it's saying you're like, maybe your spark is being a mother and that you appreciate life more or you see life so fully or you feel like you're living the most authentically when you are being a mother but your purpose was not just to become a person who has a child like you're not you're more than just that utility and i think soul is telling us like that there's 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 so much more to that the point of life is to live not to do anything right and i i think that that's especially um easy to see when you contrast the hall of you uh, mm. joe's hall of you with the way that he views things through the flow state um, because he doesn't need to reach the height of achievements to have fully lived life you know there's no correlation between like that's the issue with giving all these high achievers or using these high achievers as the mentors for 22 because that mm. be, be getting a nobel peace prize uh or being the best boxer to ever live those things were not going to inspire the spark in 22 that's not uh the type of thing that inspires 22 22 gets the spark of wanting to live life and that wasn't something that you're going to learn by seeing somebody just be the greatest human ever right um if anything it, it had a backwards effect where it was 22 right. felt inadequate because the mentors were all these high achievers that's such a good point i did not pick up on that at all but you're absolutely right it's it's more than just it, it because i think that's the, the thing with that utility is that if you say my purpose is to do blank you the implied result of that is that you have to be the best at that thing is that you have to dedicate all your time and all of your energy to that thing and you have to become number one in it but the truth is that no matter how good you get at anything there's always going to be someone who is better or there's always going to be someone who's going to come later who's going to be better because they have some new technology that at their disposal or they have some talent that you don't have right so comparing yourself to other people in that way and saying, I need to achieve more than anyone else is not useful because it all it does is create this kind of apathy and create this like, why should I even bother kind of feeling? Whereas like, I think what's sort of cl clear about Joe is that he wants to, he wants to play jazz and he wants to, he wants to do that because he loves it. But he thinks that that is also what he should be doing necessarily. Right, which isn't necessarily the case. Nor is that nor is playing jazz in a in a like as a gig the only way for him to play jazz. Because he could still be a music teacher and play jazz every single day with his students, right? And he would still get he would still kind of get that, but in a different way, right? And I mean the same thing is true for maybe Des, the barber. He wanted to become a veterinarian, presumably because he wanted to help people right? He wanted to help people in their animals, but he became a barber and he's still helping people just in a different way. People need haircuts, you know, maybe not quite as, as badly as they need, you know, uh, doctors for their pets, but that's still a very useful service that he provides. Well, since we're talking about Des, I have a little bit about, I want to talk about Des because okay. the bar, I think the barbershop scene is fantastic. First off, 
the first off, okay. First Dez, off. Dez is wearing Tim's. So you know he's an authentic <laughs> New York dude. Deadass, okay? But, but, but also, this scene is, is fantastic because it's a hilarious situation where 22 is inside of Joe's body and can't hide from other humans. She's forced to communicate, and it leads to hilarious results when she starts talking about existing as a theoretical construct in a hypothetical way station between life and death <laughs> and everyone and that other woman in the barbershop is like oh yeah i, I feel that like I, I understand where you're coming from which is also a hilarious response but suddenly the whole barbershop is hanging on her every word and it, and it leads us to finding out about dez's life and like you were saying dez the guy who was born to cut hair, according to Joe, actually wanted to be a veterinarian, but circumstances in his life led down a different path. But that doesn't make him a failure. He loves the magic of the chair. He meets interesting people. He makes them handsome. He, as he puts it, saves lives. <laughs> he was able to find joy and meaning in his life, even if it didn't go as planned and to me that makes des an inspiration because he's right. able he's able to find joy and it, and i know it can come across as like um you know saying like find joy in the little things which is so trite or um you know essentially telling you to settle but i think that through this scene you can see that that's uh it's much more than that you know and by having the right mindset like des um you can find a way to fully live life no matter w what your circumstances are. Right. And I don't know if it's just a, if it's just a change in mindset or if it's something deeper than that, because it does, because there is that kind of thing that's underneath there where it's like, well, if you can't get what you want, then just do what you can, I guess. And that should be good enough for you. You know, why are you so, you know, why do you have so much high goals for yourself? But I don't, that, I don't know. It seems like there's there's something deeper there about how we are def we define ourselves by the things that we do and only think of ourselves as what our output is. Whereas simply being a person that like lives their lives and does things that are important to the people around them is just as important, if not more important, than trying to be someone who's like great, who's leaving a great legacy behind who's changing world lives around the world. But how, I mean, how much is, are they really, you know, right. any, any person that you, like, if you're, if you wanted to be a singer like Joe or a musician like Joe, obviously people that are big influences on him or people, people he hears on the radio and stuff, but how big of an influence are those people compared to people like his father or his mother or Des even, right? Th those people are affecting lives so much more directly and giving people, uh, what, life is all about it's it's showing that it's it's letting the people express that spark um in a very authentic and you know a uh, powerful way right no I, I totally agree and i think it part of it also is being open to not having all the answers des may have thought being a veterinarian is the only thing for me but he was open to the uh possibilities outside of that as well and that led him to being a more uh well-adjusted person um in the end so i don't know i really i like des a lot and yes i love that scene but more generally 
I find, I mean, this is pretty obvious. I think everyone connected this dot even before the seeing the movie, maybe. I feel like Pixar's uh, soul is very much in the same vein as Pixar's Inside Out, where they come up with their own fun explanation of how things work. In Inside Out, it's our emotions. In Soul, it's the meaning of life. Pixar isn't actually trying to explain how this stuff really works. They use their fun explanations as a springboard to say something more meaningful about the subject matter. The great before, earth passes, finding your spark, none of those things need to be real for the message and soul to be applicable to real life. I think uh, this is something that makes movies like Inside Out and Soul transcend the child-friendly computer animation genre because you can't really get too old for the messages in these films. If Soul had been about, you know, trying your best and like uh, be achieving and becoming a great jazz performer, then this would be incredibly depressing for anybody who <laughs> is old and had, didn't, didn't accomplish something like that, right? But this movie is still applicable to no matter how old you are because the message of, you know, living your life uh, intention, with intention um, it is you, that you constantly need to be reminded of that. And, and you know, anybody of any age uh, can take in that idea and it can be a positive influence on them. Um, so I, I, I just think that's amazing. Like Pixar, they're so good at this. Like another thing I, <laughs> I, I, I mentioned this in my pros, but I love the jazz motif. I think it's easy to get on board with the concept of the flow state or they call it the zone. And, you know, the idea of inspiration in regards to being a jazz player, because it is so indefinable in it, like the way that you play jazz, it is uh, improvisational. So inspiration, mm -hmm. flow state, all very uh, connected ideas to improvisation. I also like this motif comes through immediately with the poorly played band class rendition of the <laughs> Disney like logo song. It, which was such a hilarious way to begin this movie. Anyone who's been in a middle school band or had a child in a middle school band will recognize this kind of rendition all too well. And, uh, and, and beyond that, this movie not only features great sequences of characters performing jazz music, which are entertaining in and of themselves, but also uses jazz music to score other scenes. And it, just looking at it all over, it, it's just a well-executed motif. And it's amazing to hear that that potentially wasn't even part of the plan from the beginning. Right. Well, I think that it goes as deep as the, as the story is trying to tell you, uh, the, or the story in the movie, right? The idea of improvising. Like you were just saying about Des, right? He didn't know that he, wanted, he was going to be a barber. He thought he was going to be a, a veterinarian, but circumstances changed and he had to improvise and he became something else. Same thing is true with Joe. He thought for forever that he was going to become a jazz musician, but circumstances changed and he had to come up with something else. But the thing is that makes it ironic is that he's constantly doing that when he's playing jazz. He comes into a situation. He's thrown into a situation with Dorothea Williams and he has to just figure it out. And he does such a good job with that. He is such a, he's such a talented musician, but he doesn't apply that same logic to the rest of his life. He's so stuck in, this is the way it's going to be. This is the way it has to be. But what jazz as kind of a concept or improv improvision in jazz teaches you is that you need to be more 
uh, flexible and that you need to be able to bring in the influences around you to change the way that you interact. Just because it's not going the way that you wanted it in the first place doesn't mean you can't still play along. Oh my gosh, that's so spot on. Like <laughs> jazz is the definition of like not going according to plan. There is no yes. plan. Right. But there is no plan. Be, but there is still... no plan. That's the thing, right? <laughs> yeah. There you like you think you come that's the that's the problem that Joe has at the at the uh at the U seminar at the great before. What is what is 22's plan? What is what is she supposed to do? What am I supposed to do? But that's not it. That's not it, man. It's not what you're supposed to do. You have to figure it out on the way. Right. Just because there wasn't, just like in jazz, even without a plan, it can still come out beautiful. Right. Uh, gosh, that's it's about so the good. journey, man. It's even <laughs> I can't, destination. I set out to uh, to praise the jazz motif, and here I am realizing it's even greater than I thought it was. So <laughs> I'm uh, Pixar Getting played man. by jazz. <laughs> Uh, well, actually, let me, so that this is actually a great transition to what I want to talk about next, because let me just take you through a thought process that I went through after watching this movie. Right after I finished the movie, I thought I would have been interested to see a version where Joe has to give up his life in order for 22 to start her life. I mean, this is essentially what happens, right? Joe uh, appreciates living life so much that he's willing to give up his life, his earth pass for 22 to have her own chance at life. But then Joe kind of gets deus ex machina into getting a second chance. Jerry ex machina. <laughs> right. And they easily fool the accountant, rendering him a completely powerless villain. And uh, But basically, so he won't know, which allows this all to go on. I felt like this was kind of a way to dodge actually dealing with the reality of death in this film. Mm. You know, that's how I felt. Uh, but at the same time, I feel like allowing Joe to live his life with a new perspective effectively hammers home the message of this film. So it's forgivable, right? But I still felt like the way they pull it off was a tiny bit cheap. Then I spent some more time thinking about it, and I realized this is actually an amazing decision, giving Joe a second chance at life. Forcing us to grapple with the idea of death would detract from this film's message because it would make us think about life after death. What happens to Joe when he walks into the great beyond? But soul isn't about life after death. It's about life before death. By giving Joe a second chance, Pixar keeps your focus right where they want it. And yeah. I actually, I think that that even with the cheap uh, distraction method they used on the accountant, I think it's the best way to end this film. Yeah, well, that, I mean, that's even that is funny though, because this idea that these are these all powerful beings that have mysterious powers, and it's just like. He literally just is counting. It's not It's not even a metaphor. He's literally using abacuses. <laughs> and they can just mess with them. And that's it. That's just, It's as simple as that. Yep. Uh, it kinda, it, I know it's funny to think that this elaborate bureaucracy is so fragile, uh, even at the level of metaphysics. But um, yeah, I, I completely agree. The purpose... The, this is the what happens to you after you die is a different Pixar movie yep. that hasn't come out yet. That's a, that's the uh, spiritual trilogy is Inside Out, Soul, 
and then um, <laughs> <laughs> what happens to you when you die or something. I don't, I don't know what it's called yet. That's um, yeah. It's just a completely different topic. You're right. It was a completely different movie. And I think that having Joe, it, while that would have been dramatic to have Joe have to walk through the great beyond and maybe that's how you end the movie. But I think that it leads you too much into, well, what is the great beyond? How do they explain that? Like, it, Oh, sequel confirmed, you know, Joe, uh, in the, <laughs> Joe in the great beyond. <laughs> right. It, it, that's not, that's not what they're setting out to do. And I'm glad that's not what they're setting out to do. So I, I don't know. I just, um, it took me a while to like go, get through that thought process. I thought I had them. I was like, aha, here's something that they, they chickened out of having Joe <laughs> die. But no, it's, it's, it's uh, very intentional and, and it's the right decision, I think. Well, to have it end, yeah, I mean, it is interesting because the rest of the movie is so unconventional, I think. with It has a very strange structure, um, especially with its climax. To have it end with a, a traditional happy ending is definitely like an interesting choice, too. Right, uh, I right. do see. I do see the, the kind of resistance to that because you're like, well, I wanted something a little bit more. You know, I wanted them to really hit it home or something. Right. But yeah. Again, it's not really what the movie's about. So, well, one more thing I I wanted to just kind of talk to you about is how did freeing lost souls really work? And and I'm mainly talking about this in uh, regards to what's his name, Moon uh, Moonwind Moonwind. This one for me felt like everything else kind of felt like, yeah, that is kind of a fun explanation for how it is. This one didn't, to me, didn't feel like it really had a good explanation because, so what happens? Moonwind and his friends, like they meditate themselves into the flow state and then they're able to free people who are obsessed with something so that they're so obsessed with something that they're detached from reality, but they're, they're able to snap people out of depressive episodes without them even knowing or knowing them or they just do it to anyone on earth in any place i don't know it's kind of like a subconscious thing right like the interactions that they have that the um that the people in the flow state have with 22 and joe and others is all like metaphorical right, right. when when 22 throws that rock at the actress right does she literally get hit by a rock no, it's just that she gets knocked out of the flow state and then, it, you know, it, it fits out of there. And like they said, uh, this is all a metaphor. This is all like a conjuring in Joe's mind, basically, of what he thinks is happening or something. True, it's it's like an occurrence at Owl's Creek type thing where it's not even real. It's just like uh, the random firings of synapses at the, at the end of his life. <laughs> <laughs> right. But I still, because it crosses into real life and... Uh, Moonwind is able to like talk about these things as if what he's perceiving is some sort of tangible reality. Um, I, I'm just not sure. How, I, I guess I could just leave it up to the. It is kind of a get out of jail free card to say that this is all just an imagination thing <laughs> for is. your feeble little minds. But um, I what, what what I'm trying to get at here is I was kind of hoping that this these uh, Moonwalker and his friends would be uh, Moonwind. Sorry. Moonwind. Uh, <laughs> would all be a they would all be on psychedelics and that's why they're uh, able to transcend the planes of reality i mean it's definitely intent it's definitely like implied but i don't think, I think that's a little too <laughs> hardcore from pixar <laughs> i mean look at the look at the big ship with like the tie-dye sails and that's, stuff that's that was my immediately my yeah. immediate reaction yeah, yeah, yeah. like wow it pixar endorsing uh i mean they are endorsing like alter 
alternate like lifestyle in a way, right? Where he's like a sign twirler, but he's like found like he's transcended Earth to find this like greater purpose, which is crazy right. um, to think about. But like it's a it's a fun idea that he's like out on the street constantly <laughs> perfecting the art of meditation through sign twirling. Um, no, it's, I think that's so fun, and I think the way I understood that was when they interact with that guy's soul that they save from the like the, that you know, has who's like the head fund, hedge fund manager or whatever. Yes. Um, and he like wakes, he snaps out of it. That's all like subconscious. He, they get, they talk to that guy's soul who isn't directly interacting with his body or whatever and saying, this is how it works, you know, like, and then maybe like part of that meditation and part of that ritual allows the soul to go transition into the body more, um, seamlessly mm-hmm. whereas what happens with joe and 22 is they they're they fall in before anybody's ready so maybe like their knowledge of the spirit realm is something that Moonwind erases as that as part of the ritual or something i don't know well sure but i think yeah maybe the subconscious is part of that as well where they're just right. saying you don't have to be uh cognizant of this going on for it to happen and and maybe that is also one of the uh i'm just uh, like taking stabs in the dark here but maybe some of those alternative lifestyle people believe in this kind of oneness of our experience and by meditating and going to the zone and and you you can have an influence on people that without knowing them uh or necessarily uh yeah like directly influencing their life in the real world by participating in this meditation you are doing something for the greater good so and i could definitely see that going along with kind of uh that hippie kind of lifestyle so um, yeah and i feel like yeah. that does happen i feel like people do snap like where they get to a point where they're like oh i uh what am i even doing it, it, they totally disassociate to the point where they've disassociated with their disassociation so it it seems like a nat it seems like something that could happen and you know people don't understand how brain or consciousness works so maybe right. Maybe that comes from some ulterior plane of ideas uh, that, you know, my, my brain is still in recovery mode from all these high-level ideas. Uh, <laughs> uh, now I understand. <laughs> oh, man. All right, Joey, let's move on to our cool Easter eggs. Uh, what do you got? Oh, man. Okay, so there's a scene, there's like a couple of shots that have... 22's little hideout in the spirit realm and on the wall she has uh name tags from all of these previous mentors and so i paused it and sat really close to my tv and (laughs) tried to read as many of these as i could i actually found a couple of articles uh one from the observer and one from screen rant uh what and they uh, these are the kind of articles i hate they say uh soul easter eggs every mentor explained Soul Easter eggs, well, like uh, every mentor explained, they don't explain. They don't explain anything. They uh, they just list them, the same way I had listed them. They didn't even bother to Google any of them to tell us who they were. It's so annoying. You won't believe number seven. You won't believe <laughs> how many there are. There actually are a ton. There's a ton, and and a lot of them are actually written in languages that I can't read, uh, like in scripts I can't read, like in Arabic or. Uh, Chinese or Japanese, I assume. I, I I am so illiterate. I don't even know what these languages are by looking at them. So <laughs> English Andy over here. <laughs> yes, that's right. English Andy. I, I always think about what you said uh, the stream the other like that one day uh, that 
monolingualism is the new illiterate illiteracy. Yes. <laughs> Here's another so. example. You can't even watch a Pixar movie anymore. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I'm going to list off a couple of these because I thought they were interesting. Uh, Jack Kirby, who is the comic book artist who worked with Stan Lee, Albert Einstein, Grace O'Malley, who was, I think, a famous Irish pirate queen. Ooh. Uh, which, yeah, it sounds pretty cool. I, I tried to read some of her Wikipedia article, but I, I couldn't get too far into it. There was a guy named Joe Grant, who was an early Walt Disney animator and writer. Uh, Confucius. Um, there was a songwriter named Juana uh, Inez de la Cruz who's a Mexican writer, philosopher, composer, and uh, she was also a nun. Harvey Milk, the famous uh, uh, politician. Um, well, Vincent Van Gogh, Archimedes, Stephen Hawking, Jane Austen. Uh, Tsai Lun, I think, he, I think that's how you say it, or maybe Tsai Lun. He was a Chinese inventor who was, who was credited with inventing paper. Queen Elizabeth, Thomas Edison, uh, a Prince, uh, a guy named Mike uh, Oz. Uh, okay, I can't even say his name. Uh, Mike Oz, who is Frank Oz's uh, uh, father, who is a famous puppeteer, who famously did uh, some of the Muppets and also Yoda. Uh, Leonardo da Vinci, Joan of Arc, George Orwell, Marvin Gaye, Pablo Picasso, jo Johnny Cash, and so so many others. There's a ton in here. Uh, you can, I will actually post a picture of the couple screen grabs I, I got and see if anyone else saw any that you can, you can pick out and, um, where are you going to yeah, post just, it? I'll put it on Twitter okay. and I'll also put a, I'll also put a link in this, in the, uh, description of this. So you can click on it there too. So you can take a look and see how many you can recognize. There's a ton in there. A bunch of them that I did not recognize a bunch of names. I can't pronounce. Some of them are a little more obscure than others, but there's like, there's literally a couple of frames where it's totally clear and you can see the whole thing, which is really cool. All high There's achievers. All very high achievers. Very, very good point. Harriet Tubman. Um, one person who's listed on here uh, is Eleanor Roosevelt. And I found a quote from Eleanor Roosevelt while I was searching around. And this is the quote. The purpose of life is to live it, to taste experience to the utmost, to reach out eagerly without fear for newer and richer experience, which I felt was a very poignant point that uh, reflects the uh, purpose of this movie. Wait, which Roosevelt was it? That Eleanor actually, Roosevelt. It was Eleanor that, because I'm trying to remember if it was Roosevelt, but I saw a name tag where the first name was covered up. I, I want to say it was Roosevelt. I could see it, and I saw it specifically. It said Eleanor Roosevelt in okay. there. I don't know if it maybe was, it was somebody maybe it just saw the up. E and the N -O -R, or something, but I could tell it was Eleanor Roosevelt. Well, I think it would be interesting to obscure it and say, like, which one do you think it was, you know? Ooh, well, you could find it. <laughs> it doesn't matter. <laughs> At this point, like, the, the point is made, so. Right. Yeah, it was. it's a very cool detail to have in there. Cool. Okay, I got I got another one for you. So at one point, Terry says, "151,000 new souls every day pass into the great beyond." But I looked into this, and his number is low. Uh, Terry, your count is off. Uh -oh. uh, five five, 58.39 million people died in 2019, which is an average about 160,000 a day. Uh, you actually have to go back to 2013 or 2014 to get a rate that is comparable to about 151,000 uh, souls a day. So uh, maybe that maybe that puts where, tells where this movie is from. It's actually, uh, you know, back in 2014, 2013, not so close to 2020. Uh, I don't know. 
<laughs> yeah <laughs> interesting <laughs> i tried to do the math when he said that but i was like eh nah <laughs> i don't really care i know people are dying all over the place <laughs> people are dying all over the place so yeah i got that yeah i found that on a website so maybe there's other numbers that are more uh that match terry's estimate but i or maybe you know there's roughly uh 10,000 souls a day that are getting a second chance at life the way that Joe mm. does by doing some sort of you know out of uh, out of pocket shenanigans in the great before um, I would think though that like people that fall into comas and stuff like if you included that the number would just be higher so right uh, no, yeah. no I'm 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 being facetious <laughs> I'm trying to make it so that Joe's experience isn't quite so unique I'm fact checking Terry over here okay <laughs> But, um, okay, so th I have a uh, quote that I want to play, uh, so go ahead. Okay. Matching you mentors with your soulmates. Our first mentor is Maria Martinez. Maria, come on down. Maria was a rare disease specialist from the University of Mexico. I'm cured. I'm cured! <laughs> She'll be matched with one of my favorites, soul number 108,210,121,415. Congratulations. Off you go. Our next mentor is Bjorn. So I love, I, well, I, I like this inclusion because I've been to the University of Mexico, so really? I can be self-centered about this and be like, oh, I've been there. It's, <laughs> the, it's a huge uh, university in Mexico City, and the, the team for the college is followed almost like a pro sports team in Mexico. They're the Pumas. So this this university is a big deal, and it's it's nice to see representation in movies. Uh, and what struck me about this was uh, her patient speaks English, <laughs> <laughs> because if she was treating patients at the University of Mexico, I've actually had family members go to the University of Mexico to get medical treatment, uh, but they to, to the patient would likely speak spanish uh although i think that again we can use the get out of jail free card here and say that this is all an illusion that joe's feeble human brain could comprehend maybe joe doesn't understand spanish so for this to get it come across for him it would need to be in english uh so i just thought it was interesting and um I don't know, great inclusion. I'm going to shout out my Mexicans uh, when we get a, <laughs> a spot in a big movie like this. Another Easter egg I, uh, I enjoyed was they specifically make fun of the Knicks in this movie. When oh my gosh, yeah. They just like straight up say... <laughs> yeah you guys are you guys are bad like well so that's how they try to screwed. explain why the knicks have been so terrible for so long is because there's this soul that's eternally taking their players out of like the flow state or out of the zone so that they always mess up in the most you know pivotal moments in the game uh, i thought that was hilarious and a proper inclusion for a movie that takes place in new york uh, mm. which actually leads me to another thing that i was thinking about was Again, as a small town guy, sometimes I get tired of seeing movies that take place in New York City. It's like, okay, another movie taking place in New York City. But I feel like New York City is a proper uh, location for a movie where a guy, half the movie takes place with a guy talking to his cat. That kind of thing probably would pass for just stuff happening in new york city there's too much going on for people to stop and pay attention to every time someone acts weird so I, I i actually do think it's a great place to have this movie take place and another new york city specific reference that happens in seoul is the inclusion of the new york city pizza rat had you yes. heard of this 
I know about Pizza Rat. Yeah. Do you know about Pizza Rat? I know. Well, I, I've seen the video of Pizza Rat. Do you know that the... Pizza Rat is a performance art? No. That's right. What? what there's do, a, there's elaborate. This, there's, a, there's this crazy woman named Zardulu. There's a, radio, there's a really great um, Reply All episode uh, about this. She is this mysterious performance artist who has created viral moments such as Pizza Rat and selfie rat and other <laughs> rat related shenanigans in New York city. And she like, she takes claim for it. Who knows if it's true or not? Uh, but she has claimed that she has trained rats to do these things so that it creates these crazy moments. And the, the kind of conclusion that the reply all podcast says is like, does this actually take away from the magic of this moment? The idea that there's actually someone behind the rat <laughs> <laughs> like if you just think this is such a spontaneous and interesting I, like thing it's like so magical that a rat would be dragging pizza through new york city well let's let's take it up a level and say there was someone behind it there was someone training that rat to do that yeah doesn't that add even more magic to the world i think that <laughs> having a pizza dragging rat exist at all is such a new york thing that i don't care how it came into being i still look at new york as the source of that so whether it was spontaneous of a pizza falling on the ground and a rat finding it or somebody in new york being so wacky that they orchestrate this event not that important to me the end result is the same <laughs> and i think that it's inclusion in this movie that takes place in new york is uh, fitting. It's a great cameo to have, especially because Pixar does such a great job of animating rats to make them little cute guys, even though rats are actually disgusting. So, <laughs> yeah, wait, is that actually Remy from Ratatouille? It's not. And I know that he's been in other movies, or at least rats that look exactly like Remy have been in other Pixar movies. This one, he his fur is way more defined. I think. Yeah. It's it's more, um, and maybe that's because he's dirty, but. Uh, I, he doesn't look exactly like Remy, but he is a cute Remy's cousin guy. from uh, from the U.S. Right, <laughs> his dead ass here on a ship. New yeah. York cousin. That's right. Uh, but anyways, those are all my cami or uh, Easter eggs, and let's move on to our quotable moments. What do you got, Joey? Let me play the first one. This is just a hilarious moment. There's one thing I'm not. It's a liar. Unlike Abraham Lincoln, you're really okay being on a penny. Well, of course. It's an honor. Okay, but they put Andrew Jackson on the 20. Jackson! What can I say, Joe? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. It's just so funny seeing Abraham Lincoln, like, scream, especially about Andrew Jackson. <laughs> I mean, really, though, like, I would feel the same way. You know, like, yeah. the elevate... Andrew Jackson above the like Abraham Lincoln. I guess you could say like pennies are supposed to be because they're smaller amounts. They're probably more common, I guess. But I don't know like the way that like money works, like especially in the U.S. Twenty dollar bills are so common that you see Jackson's face everywhere. Basically, it's just hilarious to see him <laughs> uh, react to that news. Uh, it's so funny. <laughs> well, if there's anything that's true is the higher value of currency your face is on, the, the more important you were, that's obviously, right. because Benjamin right. Franklin was the most important president we ever had. So That's right. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Your Benjamin know. facts always... Uh, yeah, my Benjamin... Always astound me. Yeah, my Benjamin... Benjamin Franklin... <laughs> Um, writer of the Declaration of Independence, right? Dis uh, inventor of lightning. I'm right, he I'm invented. Sure. Well, he invented yeah, I electricity. So there right. was oh, okay, okay, all electricity. You know, and lightning, kites. And he, 
He, didn't he invite Kite? Invite Kites too. And Keys too, I think, was his other one. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I, I, as a Benjamin, I obviously have to know these things about the other right. Benjamins. That's right. That's right. Okay, I got another. I got another uh, quote for you. You don't know. You can't be sure why my past changed. Ah, come on, 22, think about it. You hated music until you were in my body. You hated everything until you were me. I hope you enjoy it. Okay, so there's this kind of underlying idea that it never is really resolved, and I'm curious to know what you think about this. There is this idea that because 22 is in Joe's body, she has access to some of his memories and also sees the world through his eyes. Um, and because he's separated from that, he doesn't really get that, whatever. And you see him exhibit some cat behaviors as well, right? Right. He, he accidentally to, he licks to, himself. <laughs> he wants to. He wants to tear up his sofa because he's so mad. And he's right. like laying in the sunbeams and stuff. He does all sorts of cat things. Um and, and you see 22 kind of do Joe things as well, but there's there's kind of a, a weird line there because she definitely acts differently than how Joe acts and talks about things the way Joe does and is way more impulsive and way more way less cautious and does all sorts of things that Joe would know better not to do, basically. Um, what I think is interesting about this idea is if there is such a thing as a soul, how much of it is you? right and if you were to switch bodies with another person would you even notice oh my gosh <laughs> <laughs> yeah i don't know that's a really interesting question it's i i didn't really get the impression that joe was right when he said this when he said mm -hmm. you 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 hated music until you're in my body like kind of giving uh giving himself or his body the credit for 22's appreciation for life. I don't actually think that's the case. I think that 22 appreciates life because 22 finally has the opportunity to experience life. It's, uh, you know, Joe might not necessarily be appreciative of walking or looking at the sky in the same way that 22 is through his body. So I, I, I feel like this was uh, just joe um being wrong when he was when he was talking it to, uh to 22 about this i think so too but it's just it's just um but there is something there because she can remember things that he remembers and he i mean he, he dismisses any sort of interest that she shows in music as oh that's just because of me and i'm hardwired to love music right he thinks that of course that's his purpose and he thinks that music is a part of him therefore like that appreciation comes from the physical makeup of his body, basically. Sure. But like the message that this movie is trying to say is like that our experiences are universal, I think, and that you like you can mix and match, I guess, different souls and you will have different experiences, but ultimately kind of the same experiences too. It's, it's very interesting i don't really know how to how to resolve this kind of thing yeah i mean you asked if you were to switch 
souls in people's bodies would you even notice i think if you're going by pixar's own theory of the soul then uh your your personality would still be different so you would yeah i'm not sure how that would pertain to noticing but other people would probably notice and i think that's something that they are kind of able to skirt around in this film because 22 is just able to be normal enough that people don't freak out completely seeing joe i mean we have dorothea's reaction to seeing him in the hospital gown but you know being able to pull off what uh, she pulls off in the barbershop you know, could be a little bit convenient. Nobody recognizes that Joe is acting. I mean, they recognize he's acting completely different, but it doesn't frighten them or, or startle them. They are you know, open to accepting it. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm not sure um, if you would notice. Yeah. I don't know either. Sometimes I think about that. Sometimes I'm like, what if I had switched bodies? Like, what if every week I switched bodies with a different person and I just think that I'm the same person because I have the same memories as the right. as the person I woke up at, like, I went to sleep as, <laughs> you know? <laughs> this reminds me of last Thursdayism, where you can't be sure of anything that's actually happening. That's absolutely true. It definitely is. But it's also like maybe an opportunity to say, hey, I could be a new person every single day. Yeah. And I can be different every day. I think that's a good mindset. Okay, so this next quote happens right after Joe's big performance with the Dorothea Williams Quartet, and they talk about this. You don't give many like tonight. Yeah. So, uh, what happens next? We come back tomorrow night and do it all again. What's wrong, Teach? It's just I've been waiting on this day for my entire life. It's... I thought I'd feel different. I heard this story about a fish. He swims up to this older fish and says, I'm trying to find this thing they call the ocean. The ocean, says the older fish. That's what you're in right now. This, says the young fish, this is water. What I want is the ocean. So this immediately reminded me of the commencement speech to the Kenyon College class of 2005, or 2005 um, that was written by David Foster Wallace. And it's not the same quote, but it's similar. David, uh, in his, it goes something like this, where uh, this old fish is swimming along and these two younger fish are swimming in his direction. And he says, good morning, boys. How's the water? And the other two younger fish keep swimming. And eventually one asks the other, what the hell is water? (laughs) And honestly, I'm not going to try to summarize this whole speech. Like we could do a whole podcast on this speech. It's about 20 minutes long. I encourage you to go listen to the whole thing. David covers a lot in this speech, but essentially David gives advice on how to think. And he discusses what he calls our default setting, where we view ourselves as the center of the universe. Uh, Every experience we have is centered on our own view of it. But this is not true. This is not reality. The universe does not revolve around us uh, individually. And believing this way has destructive consequences. And David stresses the importance of having discipline to be attentive and aware that this, that this egocentric perception is not reality. And he stresses the importance of you know, developing the ability to truly care about other people. 
And while this isn't exactly the same message as Soul, I think it runs in parallel to the message of this movie. Don't just run on your default setting. Be attentive and be aware while you're living your life. Focus on living. And it, it, it goes on beyond that. I mean, it's kind of a commentary on a liberal arts education and, and how to think. But I think it, that he's touching on that same thing that Dorothea is touching on here, where you have, to, uh, you have to be intentional with your perception of your existence. Because, um, you know, this default setting can, is not the right one. And you should, you should uh, not allow yourself to easily fall into that. I think, yeah. I don't know. It's, not, it's, a story, it's also a story of, or a metaphor with fish in water. Uh, but it's not really the same message. It's a different. It's a different message altogether. I think. There. I think you're right. I like. I really do like that speech. I like the message that he comes across. But I don't really see how it fits necessarily with this movie. Because unless you're talking about more generally about how, it's uh, how Joe thinks that he has a singular singular purpose, and there's actually more to life than that. Well, I, I think it just comes across as living with intention. Because right. you, you have to take it like a moment to appreciate what it's like to be living your life. Because there is this strong feeling of Joe getting so used to his life that he forgets the beauty of all these little moments that are a part of his life, right? Yeah. And then after going through this whole experience, he's able to say, even no, I don't know what I'm going to do in the future. I might not become this famous jazz musician, but I'm going to live every moment. And I think that that same, you're right, it is a different message, but I think that same intention uh, that's being emphasized is uh, similar, you know, and if it, it, it kind of parallels the same fish in water idea where it's easy for, or not easy, but it's like almost impossible for a fish to understand what water is because they're, they're always inside of it. Yeah, well, that brings me to another quote, uh, another fish and water quote that we talked about on the "I'm Afraid of Men" podcast. We don't under, we don't know who discovered water, but we know it wasn't a fish, which is attributed to Marshall McLuhan, uh, which is another fish and water metaphor with a different message altogether. So <laughs> here you go, you got three. Now you're swimming in fish metaphors, uh, pun intended. So <laughs> hilarious. Um, yeah, I do really like this quote though. I do really like what she says here about how, and I, and this is why I started our synopsis with you have arrived at your destination. You are, you're already here. You, you are doing the thing. You are living your life, right? Now decide what that is. You can't wait for your life to start and you aren't, your purpose necessarily is not something that you can necessarily achieve. Even what you should be achieving is trying to live your life to the best of your ability to be better with other people, to help other people around you, be more empathetic and be more curious about the world around you. Um, which, because you're already here, you know, you have, you have arrived. The great before is the preparation. Earth is the test. That's the performance. That's the, the thing. So, uh, play on. Yeah. No, I, I think that's uh, spot on. Okay, Joey, I think you know what time it is. It is time for us to go a little deeper. deeper, deeper, deeper. Okay, I got one short thing. We've already touched on this a little bit, but I want to talk a, a little bit about the history of improvision and jazz. Improvision? And this is a qu- improvisation. 
Ah, sorry. Improvisation. You know, <laughs> I'm a great reader. I love reading. I'm the best reader you've ever heard. Man, you just uh, no, improvised no, a word on the fly. Nobody, nobody <laughs> reads like I do, okay? <laughs> All right. Uh, I got this from Wikipedia. I think this is very interesting. The centrality of improvisation is attributed to the influence of earlier forms of music, such as blues, a form of folk music which arose in part from the work songs and field hollers of African-American slaves on plantations. These work songs were commonly structured around a repetitive call and response pattern, but early blues was also improvisational. Classical music performance is evaluated by its fidelity to the musical score, with less attention given to interpretation ornamentation and accompaniment. The classical performer's goal is to play the composition as it was written. In contrast, jazz is often characterized by the product of interaction and collaboration, placing less value on the contribution of the composer, if there is one, in, uh, if there is one at all, and more on the performer. The jazz performer interprets a tune in individual ways, never playing the same composition twice. Depending on the performer's mood, experience, and interaction with band members or audience members, the performer may change melodies, harmonies, and time signatures. So, like we saw in this movie, uh, when Joe is thrown into a situation where he has to play jazz, he does beautifully, and you even see a little bit of that call and response that they reference here in this history, uh, where Dorothea will play something on the saxophone, and then he'll respond to it on the piano, which is really beautiful. And... Again, like the purpose of this movie is that you're not in this alone, you're doing it with other people and you have to make it up as you go along, uh, which I think is just hit home beautifully with the inclusion of jazz in this movie. I love it. It's, it's such a great motif. And, and um, I actually, again, just to make it about me, I've actually played jazz music before when I was in orchestra class in, uh, in public school. And, um, it, it's I don't know. There's nothing like it. it. Actually, okay. There is one thing I can think of that's like it is like doing improv, like games or or improv comedy, where you don't plan it out and you kind of just have to work off the people that you're with. Um, and sometimes it's it's really terrible, <laughs> but sometimes you can create something magical and you almost can't bottle it. It just it happens and you all experience it together and then you're you got to try again the next time and um, then it's gone. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I, yeah, it just goes so, along so well with soul. Um, and it, it's hard to even imagine that this movie ever was conceptualized without that because it fits so well, you know, uh, before the including, or uh, the, uh, consultation of, uh, Kemp powers here. So, um, I think it's really important that you pointed that out. All right. You ready to move on to our ratings? Yes. As we do at the end of every episode, we will deliver our ratings. Joey, what do you got? I give this movie a little trilled melody that really brings you back. Nice. I give this movie a New York slice that's been dragged across the pavement by a cute little animated rat. <laughs> Yuck. So there you go. There you have it. That's our conversation on soul. Joey, what's next on Affable Chat? The next movie we're doing is The Hateful Eight. That's right. By uh, Quentin Tarantino. We're heading back to Tarantino land and uh, going to be talking about It's been a long time since we've been in Tarantino land. It has. It, uh, it was the first 
movie we ever uh, talked about on Affable Chat was yeah. Did a Tarantino we ever? Film. Did we ever go back? Is there any other movie we did? I don't think so. Because we, we talked talk- a little bit about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah, I think that's the closest we've gotten, but. We only we, we briefly discussed it in New. Back whole to our roots, to say all those people that are saying, "I miss the old affable chat." Well, <laughs> yeah, don't tempt there you me. Go. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's what we'll be doing next. Uh, please subscribe to us on Spotify, uh, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts, and wherever you listen to us. Make sure you leave us a review. It really does help us grow. You can reach us on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at AffableChat, or send us an email, affablechat at gmail.com. We also have a YouTube channel where sometimes we upload episodes of the podcast and also other things unrelated to movies. Affable Chat is live on Tuesday nights, 7 p.m. Eastern on twitch.tv. That's twitch.tv slash affablechat. Come chat with us live. Come join, join the chat. But that's going to do it for this episode. For Apple Chat, I'm Benjamin. And I'm Joey. Thanks for listening.